Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux here with a good friend, the Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson, a radio talk show host, speaker, and the author of Scam, How the Black Leadership Exploits Black America, and From Rage to Responsibility. Actually, I think that's the whole series of my podcast. And The Antidote, Healing America from the Poison of Hate, Blame, and Victimhood. You can get more from the good reverend at jessieleepeterson.com. We'll put a link to that below. You can also check out his work. He founded Bond, a nationally recognized nonprofit organization dedicated to rebuilding the family by rebuilding the man, and that is rebuildingtheman.com. And Jesse and I will both be in Washington, D.C. on February 24th. Not just a coincidence. We're going to be uh, doing some speeches, and I'm sure we'll sit on some panels, and I hope that uh, everybody can come and see us there and spend some time with both of us and the other speakers, of, of course, and that's at a night for freedomdc.com. I'm sorry. Thank you for staying awake during that introduction, uh, Jesse. I appreciate your time today. <laughs> No problem. I'm looking forward to the event. So you uh, did a very moving speech uh, recently. We can link to that below where, and I could I could hear the shock in your voice, like 77% of uh, black kids born out of wedlock. Uh, I think it was 49% Hispanics, but domestic born, like native born Hispanics was even higher. Whites at 40% uh, or 30% and so on. Um, how recently did you get hold of that information and, and what did it do to you? It was about a month ago, I was reading the Washington Examiner, and it says that based on a, a study they have done, or someone did, uh, black women who are born in America, uh, well, 77% of black babies are born to black women who are born in America. And I was shocked to hear to read that, because for some reason, I thought the numbers were going down a little bit. I had no idea that they had gone to... 77% of black children born out of wedlock. And to, to me, that's shocking. I just think all of America should be shocked by that and very concerned because look what has happened when it was 70% or 60%. Black children or any children, for the most part, who are born in single-parent home has a rough time with life. You know, many of them are ended up committing suicide. They ended up in prisons or jails around the country. They end up unemployed. But most importantly, they end up angry because in these homes where uh, single mothers are raising children, they are doing it with anger. And that anger is being passed on to the children, taking them away or turning them away from their innocence. And these kids are becoming angry at their mothers. And, and as you know, whomever you become angry at you become like them. You become subject to them. You take on their identity. And life is rough when it's that way. When you look at black men today, not all, not all, not all, but most, especially those who've been raised by single mothers, they have the attitude of women. They don't have the, the, the mentality or the personality of that of a man, but they think, act, and feel like a woman. And then you end up yearning for your father's. Because anyone who is not connected to their fathers while growing up, it leaves a void in your life, deep down in your soul. It's like something is missing, and you try to replace it or fulfill that void with material things or with phony love or something. Nothing can replace that of uh, that of a father. And so it's just going to be a mess if it's 77% of black children born out of wedlock, they don't have a chance. Well, and, and the reading that I've done, Jesse, is that black 
Youths, black boys in particular, seem to be specifically vulnerable to and fragile with regards to father absence. And in particular, given that there are often higher levels of physical abuse in female-headed households, because sometimes women don't know how to control boys without escalation, without, without hitting, without spanking, without beatings. And black boys in particular seem to be quite vulnerable to the effects of child abuse in the production of aggression, and then they end up substituting, as most boys do without a father. You substitute sex, you substitute uh, money, a status, and, and violence sometimes for the male identity of curiosity, exploration, and protection, and wisdom. That's right. As a matter of fact, and without a doubt, the anger that you see in black men is the anger of their mothers. That's how they've been raised in the homes. And 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 when they do go out and get involved with women or, you know, they start dating or whatever, uh, because they are attracted to this person that they hate, they end up not knowing how to deal with these women because they never knew how to deal with their, their mothers. They didn't learn to overcome that. And so they become violent with them, with the ladies that they date, because they don't know how to handle that type of personality. And many of them are joining games because they feel unloved. And when they go out and join other gang members, they feel a false sense of family, not realizing that the other guys are angry, too, and they are looking for love. They are looking for a family, and it never works out well at all. And so to me, Stefan, Stefan, we got to start dealing with this and being honest about it. In our country today, in America, if you tell the truth about what women are doing to these children, the destruction that they bring up on the children, because they rather blame the man, and the man does have a role in it, but if his identity has been taken away from him as a child, he doesn't understand what's going on as an adult. So he can't do the right thing because he doesn't understand. But when we mention what's happening in the homes, that this violence is coming from the women, you're called misogynist. They say you hate women, you hate this and that. But, you know, I'm at a point where I don't care what they call me. We got to tell the truth in order to turn this around. Well, I agree with that. And my work in trying to wake people up to the role that women play in the cycle of violence, not just in the home, but in society as a whole, is very tough. We have this kind of white knighting approach to women where they're angels, they're special, they're precious, they're above it all. And the reality is um, in the majority of domestic violence incidents are started by women. Uh, the majority of child abuse is committed by women. And it, this is not around blaming women or just making all women bad, but we have to be able to look at the problem directly in order to start solving it. If we think that the only problem is male abandonment and male violence, then that's where we'll put all of our resources and our attempts to correct. But if yeah. we're kind of missing the mark, or let's say we're just missing half the mark, well, do you want a doctor to just cure half your cancer? No, you want the whole damn thing gone. That's right. You have to deal with both sides of the story. And kids don't come into the earth angry. Mm. You know, they don't. And then they don't wake up one day and decide, you know what? I just want an angry life. I'm just going to make myself be angry. It's coming from somewhere and it starts in the homes. And 90 percent of the time, if not more, it starts with the mothers. And it's unfortunate that the mothers are being protected. The women are being protected because if they don't expose what the women are doing and get them to overcome by forgiving their mothers for setting them up, then it's only going to get worse generation after generation after generation. I can't tell you the number of men that I've dealt with 
around the world, not just in the USA, uh, where they've been attacked by women. They've been slapped or cursed out or beat down or called names and just, I mean, treated horribly. And the men are embarrassed by it. They won't report it. And these women are just going out of control. Another thing, too, that I, 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 we haven't dealt with, I've dealt with, but a lot of people won't deal with, is that there's a spiritual order to life. And that order is God in Christ, Christ in man, man over woman and woman over children. It's not an ego thing. It's a, it's a spiritual order that's been ordained by God. And when you have a family and you have that order going on, you have a 100% chance of having an excellent life uh, as you become older because you watch the boys and the girls, watch how the fathers deal with the mother, how the fathers deal with the issues of life, how he overcome rather than overreacting. And their nature, their spirit identifies with the father's spirit, and you become like that. Whatever your father's doing is what you take on as well. And when you don't have that father there, you now identify with the mother, then your your uh, uh, spirit or your identity will become like the mother. And, and women tend to be very passionate. You know, they're very emotional about things, whereas men tend to be very dispassionate. They operate on logic, not what they think, not what they feel, but what is right. And so when you have a father and a mother in the home together, married, operating like that, you have a better chance for a good life. And so we got to, and we've been doing it now for 28 years with my nonprofit, we got to bring back that order of God. Whether we like it or not, know it or not, admit it or not, there's a spiritual order to life. We are a spirit that's made a home in a physical body. We're not a physical. We are a spirit. And when we live by that, we live by, uh, we're able to see life real life as it is. But if you don't realize that and come back to that spiritual order, you live a life of an illusion. You're just looking at the physical and not seeing the cause of everything that's happening behind the physical. So we're getting young men and women to understand that as well. And it's really sad too, because we're not actually helping women and we're not actually protecting women. What we're doing is we're appeasing women in the moment. But that's like when your kid yes. is in the grocery store and they throw a tantrum because they don't get a candy bar. If you give them the candy bar, all you're doing is paying for the next tantrum. Oh, here's how I get a candy bar. I have a tantrum. Oh, excellent. That's I know right. how to do this now. And I was thinking about, you know, was knowing that we were going to chat just over the last day or two, I was thinking about my own mom and my own mother got divorced in the 1960s when I was uh, a baby. And part of that was the sort of thoughts rolling around at the time. The marriage is a prison. There's a patriarchy. You can be a proud <laughs> single mom. You can be a strong, independent single mom. And it was all a terrible, terrible lie that cost my mother mm -hmm. enormously because what happened was she vaulted out of the marriage. She found raising children to be a huge burden for a single mom, which it is. And she never found the love that she could have somehow perhaps found if she'd stayed within the marriage. You know, most people who get divorced yes. get divorced and they're miserable. And most people who think about getting divorced five years later when they serve it, they say, whoa, I'm really glad I didn't get divorced. So there were all of this, these comments, these, these ideologies, these belief systems saying, 
your marriage is a cage, it's a prison, but out there is wonderful freedom and independence. And it was like a lie that leads people from an oasis into the desert to die of thirst because she never found the love again that uh, obviously motivated her to marry my mother. She she was miserable and lonely. Yeah. And that to me is very cruel because we are stripping women of the capacity and men to have a loving bond for their whole lives and want That's to be right. worse than taking that from people. Women need the love of a father, of a man. They need it. I mean, it's like men need the love of Christ and, and women need the love of a man. When they don't have that, they go out of control. And he, and if they should have children, the kids are not going to listen to the mother after a while. Mm. They listen to the father. The authority is in the father, not in the mother. And so they'll listen to the father, but they won't listen to the mother. And so what she ends up doing is imposing her will on them trying to force them to do what she wants them to do. And that creates a problem after a while. When women don't have men that they can look up to or a man that they can look up to and love, and started with their father first, and then once they leave home, they meet a, a man that they would like to marry. It has to be a man that they can look up to because that's where they get their love from. They get their direction from that. They are fulfilled by the love of a good man. And so when they don't have that, it is. It's a lonely place for women. Mm. And another thing, too, when you try to appease women, it's the, one of the worst things you can do for a woman is to appease her. Uh, she, would, she would resent you for that, and especially men who cater to women. Women hate men who caters to them. They want a man that would be strong and resist their temptation and not give in to them but do what's right. Now, when you adore what's right, they're going to challenge you, but they are hoping deep down inside, they're hoping that you would not give in to the challenge, that uh, that you would become stronger from it, and that will help bring them out of their hell hole so that they can come out of the darkness into the light. The worst thing that can happen to a woman is a weak man. You're supposed to do what's right, not what makes you feel good. But the problem is because most men, not all, not all, not all, but most men resent their mothers, and so they are subject to the woman. They are looking for something that she doesn't have to give. Men are looking for love from the woman, and the woman does not have love to give. They're trying to get something from her that she doesn't have, and it just brings on a lot of problems. Women receive love from men. Men receive their love from Christ, and when you get, and Christ would get his love from God. And when that order is in operation, Life is beautiful. And you're still going to have some challenges from the woman, but because you love what's right more than you do her, it will help you to guide her in the right way to go. When I was growing up, we knew this. This was not new news. You know, it was taught. It was lived by example. And we knew it, but we allowed the feminist, we allowed the liberal, uh, we allowed the national organization of women who hate men we allowed the radical feminists and homosexuals and others to come in and degrade men and degrade masculinity and say, this is awful. This is not the way to be. They have brainwashed the kids in the schools. They have turned the uh, uh, men away from their homes and their families, and it's just out of control. We got to turn it around. And that's what uh, uh, that's really more than one reason, but one of the reasons I appreciate what you're doing, you're not afraid to tell the truth about what's happening. And I noticed that so many people appreciate that.
Right. Well, things are going to write themselves one way or another. You can only push nature so far before you get the blowback. And, yes. you know, the, the, the women who've married the state rather than found a good man, well, that money's going to run out. Mathematically, yeah. it can't possibly continue. And when that money runs out uh, and the, the welfare checks stop flowing and, and the debt-based currency stops flowing, then women are going to need men again. So we're going, right. to, we're going to write this. The question is, are we going to write it by letting it roll over us and then just trying to pick up the pieces afterwards? Or are we going to try and land this thing wheels down rather than wheels up or into the side of a mountainside? <laughs> because the more we anticipate and the more we can change things rather than just react to sudden shortages, the more calm and peaceful and productive this thing can be because uh, otherwise we risk massive amounts of social upheaval and unrest and possibly conflict yeah i hope that we can land it wheels up because it'll be harder and, and it'll take longer if we wait until we have to you know fall flat on our faces we need to do it now while we can you know i was thinking uh, about president trump i heard a a, a soundbite that Whoopi gober said that she she can't even say his name. You know, she doesn't want to even say that he's a president. And Funny, so she was able to that. say the name of Roman Polanski, yes. uh, who raped a 13-year-old girl. She's got no problem with a child rapist who drugged yeah. and raped vaginally and anally a, a little girl, but she can't say the word Trump. I got to say that might need a certain reorganization of your values there, Whoopi. <laughs> I'm telling you. And, and I thought about it, I thought about it, I thought about it. And I realized she can't say his name because he is a straight, white, conservative, Christian man of power. He has power. He has authority. And she can't destroy that authority of him. And so rather than appreciating that, she wants to, hmm. uh, you know, do everything she can to diminish him, to destroy him. In my opinion, Rupert Goldberg hate men, and that's why she hate President Trump. Because, I mean, look at what the guy's doing. The economy is better. People are going back to work. We're safer. Uh, there are so many uh, folks I've ran into already who are starting up businesses now as a result of restrictions and regulations being uh, uh, set aside or gotten rid of. There, there will be a big, beautiful wall put up around the border. It's like daddy is home. But because daddy was gone so long and she was raised without a daddy, she now hates the authority of daddy and she won't admit that. She hates him because he's a real man. That's what the problem is. Right. Now, I don't know if you've heard about this, and I'm sure you have, but this idea that marriage has become so dangerous for men that, you know, a woman can just make a phone call, you can get kicked out of your house, you can lose touch with your kids, uh, half your stuff can be taken or more pretty much for, for for decades if if the circumstances allow. So this men going their own way aspect where men are just saying, no, 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 there's, there's honey <laughs> in the trap, but it's still a trap, I could lose my arm. Um, where do you think that stands with regards to masculinity? It, I, I'm half and half about it. I completely understand. You know, men who've grown up seeing this atomic shadow and crater where their father used to be after the mom and the family courts were, were done with his ass. I mean, it's really tempting and I think understandable as to why men would be walking away from marriage. But it is kind of like, okay, well, that's it for civilization then. <laughs> Let's all just hunker down. <laughs> I know. You know, I understand it too. I totally understand it. But I'm the kind of guy, I believe that when things get tougher, when life is tougher, then we have to become tougher. Hmm. 
situations happen, we have to see and learn and deal with those situations because I don't believe, now I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but I don't believe that there is anything that can happen to you in life that you cannot overcome. And I've come to learn and realize and experience that whenever you buckle down, you don't complain about the situation, but deal with that situation, you get better in life and you overcome that situation. So what I would urge the guys to do, rather than just giving up and saying, no, see what's wrong with self, where's the weakness within yourself so that you can take advantage of that opportunity and overcome weakness. Because the reality is, Men or, uh, and women were created by God, and we were created for those who want a family to get married, get together, have some children, and we can't stop that. So we got to deal with it. And so I, I would rather for them to face the situation and overcome it. We need to change the laws in the courts. It is clear that the laws are against men. It is evil that a woman—I'm I'm having a guy right now his wife decided that she, you know, hated him or whatever reason wanted to leave and she wanted to take the children. He's fighting back to uh, to at least have 50-50 custody over the children. She lied the other day and said that the man molested one of the kids. It's absolutely not true, but she said it because she knows that the courts would believe her. We need to change those laws. It's so It's hard for me to believe that women can just say what they want to say about men, and it's just fine. It, it's not you don't have you know it's not weight to prove is if it's right or wrong or not. We need to change those laws. We need to change the way women deal with men. We got to fight back. You cannot give up because once you start giving up in life, it's over for you as an individual. You can't. You know it's like lifting weights. When you first start out, you're very weak. But, you, you know, you do it and you grow and you do it and you grow. But that's how it is in dealing with issues in life. You do it until you get better. And it's going to be amazing how great things become for you, how you feel about yourself, how you see the world around you, how you face challenges when you take them on rather than running away from them. So we have talked a bunch of times now and a lot of times we're talking about problems. And that's important. You know, you need to see the before picture and the weight loss uh, uh, advertisement, but I also wanted to talk a little bit today about the vision, about what it is that people could have and what it is that they're losing. We've talked, I mean, obviously about some of the downsides and the risks and so on, but yeah. with regards to to marriage, to to fam- to a family life, to being a father, to being a provider, and for women to have that masculinity in their lives, that protection, that love, that support, that sharing of the burden of parenting. Because, you know, women are very cautious. Women keep men alive and men make sure they know how to handle risk, right? And and sometimes when my daughter, <laughs> the other day I was skating with my family and my daughter is like, I'm going to go really fast on one foot. And my mom, um, his, um, her mom was like, I can't watch, I can't watch. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to film it. Go, go. You know, and, That's and right. we have this sort of bubble wrapped childhood now to the point where people are growing up and they can't even handle contrary opinions. They have to pull fire yeah. alarms. They have to, you know, throw rocks at people who, who think differently because they've not been taught how to handle risk and disappointment. And we've got this whole snowflake thing. But what is it for men and women on the other side of this, if you find the right person, if you settle down, if you're a family man, if you're a mom, what is on the other side that's hard to see through the propaganda at the moment? It is paradise on earth. 
I was talking to one of my uncles last night, and he grew up in Alabama as well. He had a family. I had a family. And he, he asked me last night, do you ever wish that you could go back to those times when we were all were growing up in Alabama? And I grew up in Alabama on a plantation under the Jim Crow laws, right? But we have families. And I have to tell you, when he asked me that, I'm like, at first I said, yes, that would be nice. Then I said, well, you know, I really am happy with my life right now. But I reflected on those moments when I was growing up in Alabama. And I have to tell you, because my grandfather, my grandmother were around, I had uncles and aunts who had families. You know, we had challenges that we dealt with, but it didn't seem like a big deal. I saw how my grandparents interacted with one another. My father and mother moved up north, and it was just paradise. So when men and women come together and they're in their proper state of being, and then they have children, and they're just dealing with it together, that doesn't mean they always agree, but because of that respect and love for one another and who they are and their position and role in life, it is pure paradise on earth for the husband and the wife, and especially the children. Children love is good for their soul, but they love having a father and mother together. It's like it's it's whole life for them, like nothing is missing. And they grow up feeling confidence and not worried about anything, not yearning for either parent because both are there. It's paradise on earth. And that's what a lot of people don't realize because of all this mess going on, the destruction of the family, this uh, competition between women toward men is a real mess. It's darkness. But on the other side is paradise. And it's funny, too, because the change from when I was a kid, as we've talked about before, the change from when I was a kid, Dr. Uh, uh, Reverend Peterson, is, is just astonishing because I grew up, uh, you know, in a single mom household, which means you're kind of at the bottom of the economic ladder, which means right. that everyone around you is probably broken homed. And there was, you know, we, I was sort of in a community, uh, mostly whites, mostly single mom. Now, the black families that I knew, I loved going over there because yeah. the black families were first generation from Nigeria and so on. And they were strong and they had extended families. They were very friendly. It was great fun. Now, the funny thing is, actually, just not too long ago, I ran into someone who I knew from back then. Now, he grew, he grew up and he got married. And I said, but how's it going? And he said, it's been terrible, you know, yeah. problems, divorces, and so on. And I was like, but when your family came over from overseas to Canada, strong family, extended family. I, for me, it was all the white families that were broken up. And most of the black families that I knew were strong and together and great places to be. And now it's like, what the heck is in our air <laughs> that, that now it, like, you can't even sustain that generation to generation? Yeah. When I was growing up, I honestly thought... I honestly thought that only white people sinned. I didn't know. <laughs> because we had this You, you may not be union. alone in that thought anymore. <laughs> and what my uncles used to go up north to um, to uh, New York, upstate New York and to Florida, down to over to Florida. And they would go there for the summer. And they would come back with all these stories that white people were doing, you know, uh, I had never heard of a homosexual until they came back and said that their white men were homosexuals. At that time, they called them sissies or something like that. And, and then they were talking about all these things that white people were doing. I'm like, wow, that's so weird. Because I didn't know that, you know, I didn't see that going on in my environment. You know, black people, if that was happening, it was so private 
<clears throat> excuse me, no one knew about it. And it wasn't until I moved to the city that I started to see that it was uh, not like that. I think what what happened is the educational system has really, really messed up or destroyed the hearts and minds of women. They have made women believe that they are better than men mm. and that mama's love is more important than a daddy's love and that women, you know, they're just it and a man must bow down to her. And then they do it under the, under the pretense of trying to make up for the past. They say that women were enslaved. Women had to be housewives and mothers and they couldn't go to work. In those days, women had no problem with that for the most part, being home and being married and raising their children. But they try to make it look like it was a negative. And so it's whole, it started with this whole feminist movement. And they especially used the black women in order to push that because they wanted to call it a civil rights issue. Mm. And the only way they can do it, they had to bring black women into the fold. So they told black women, black men are suppressing you. Black men are doing this. And they fell for it. And so once they fell for it, they stopped listening to their husbands. They stopped doing what was right. And it's just been downhill ever since. Well, I guess if there's a huge pile of gold for you to leave your family, then, you you know, yeah. your family seems kind of oppressive. But of That's course, right. if you try leaving your family and you have to rely on church charity or private charity, then the first thing they're going to ask you is, well, why did you leave your family? Why did you leave your husband and your kids? He's like, yeah. well, I just felt vaguely unsatisfied <laughs> that Sunday afternoon. They'd be like, you get back there. Now, come on. I mean, he's not beating you. He's not drunk. He's, you know, he's a good guy. Yeah. So, you know, we all go through periods of dissatisfaction. It's going to happen. So back you go. But if there is massive amounts of money on the other side, you know, you got your government services, your free health care, your free housing. And if you get alimony, child support, well, you know, everyone gets bored in their job. But if you get paid more for quitting when you're bored, then you're going to quit. And so this That's whole right. structure and support to... Lure. It's like, you know, in the old stories, the old fairy tale stories, they put these breadcrumbs down to lure the children to the witch's house where they get caged and eaten. And it's like there's all this money that is that is luring women out of the family to become wards of the state. And of course, in, in uh, welfare homes, if there's a man around, you don't get the welfare. They're actually paying to make sure that there are no men around. And if this was a weapon of war, this kind of family disintegration, if this was a weapon of war, it would be outlawed by the Geneva Convention. Yeah, I remember when that happened, too, under Lyndon B. Johnson. Yeah. And it was also supported by the so-called civil rights leaders. And they said to black men, that to the black family, that we're going to help you. We're going to give you welfare. We're going to take care of you. But you cannot have a man in the home. And I remember men who would be in the homes, but when the social worker came around, they would either hide or go out, and if the woman had nice things in her home, they would have to hide that away so they could look desperate. It's, it's and, like the man is having an affair on the state that the woman is uh, married to, and like the husband's coming home, you gotta hide in the closet and not breathe. That's right. It, it's amazing, that is so true. I, I'm having images of people I know who were doing that, especially during that period. And so not knowing that eventually it's going to turn the men and women away from each other. It's going to make the woman feel or convince her that she didn't need a man. But the one thing I got to tell you, no physical thing, no welfare chat, no whatever, no physical thing can replace the love that a father or a man brings uh, to his wife 
or, you know, a father to his children and a husband to his wife. And there's nothing that can re- fulfill that. And women are starting to find that out now. There are so many girls that I work with who are desperate, young ladies who are desperate for a husband, but they can't find one. Because in, in the black community, you know, 50, 60 years later, there's an anger between the black man and the black woman that I think is going to take Jesus Christ to come in the flesh and restore because this anger has been building up disrespect. The average black woman hates the black man. She disrespects him. If he's trying to do something, she does not respect that. Even if he started a business and he has created an empire, she would rather de- uh, diminish that. You know, like, how's your little business doing? You know, she would never uh, uh, promote him and be proud that her man is doing well because of that hatred, that envy, and that jealousy that has built up over the last 60 years or so. And isn't it basically just a deal with the devil? Isn't that what the devil basically offers you? Is he says, I will give you security, I will give you stuff, I will give you money, I will give you gold, and in return, you have to give up all that makes that worthwhile. You have to give up the greatest treasures of your heart. And it is very tempting because we are mammals. We thrive and desire for security. And the idea that we can get security and all it's going to cost us is some abstract emotions down the road, it's a pretty tempting deal. And it used to be resisted, right? That deal used to be resisted when people understood the nature of evil and people understood how to resist it. But once we lost that, then why not take the stuff and give up the love because uh, we're just animals? One thing I'm sure about, the other things I'm sure about, the one thing I know for sure, without a doubt, it's a spiritual battle. It's a warfare between good and evil. It's a warfare between right and wrong. And I have to tell you, the only way that women can win this battle, and it's still still losing, they're not winning, but they think they are, is to destroy the man. And evil understands that. If it can destroy that man, it can control and destroy the women and children. But if it cannot get to that man, it cannot destroy the women be, and children because the man is, going, is the protector of the women and children. And so that's why it goes after the man first. That's why they were able to take over the black women and children and black men. They got rid of the man first, and then the government came in after daddy, evil. The, the civil rights, so-called civil rights leader came in as the leaders, evil, and it's just been destruction. But once you put that family back together, that man come back to order, take back his family, it's over for evil. It cannot do it unless it weaken the man first because of who he is and who he represents. And it is a very specific kind of temptation, I think. In my experience, <clears throat> men tend to be undone through lust and women tend to be undone through vanity. And going to women and saying, well, you're strong, you're independent, you're this, you don't need no man kind of thing. It, it appeals to their vanity, their sense of independence. But it's not true. And if you, if you don't want to have kids, yeah, fine, you can be independent, you can go do your thing That's and all right. that. You're still physically weak or invulnerable. But nonetheless, you know, you, you stay in safe places in the world and you're doing all right. But man, you know, you're a father, right? Once, you, once a woman has kids, she ain't no independent thing anymore. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. <laughs> you know, she, she's up four oh. times a night. Her nipples are bleeding. You know, she's, she's, right. she's tired all the time. She, she can't uh, kind of see straight sometimes. It's called mommy brain. Like you go back to the house four times because you forget something each time you try to leave. It's yep. just the way that that vulnerability of having kids is why 
the um, male provider role is so necessary. But if you can tell men, well, the disintegration of the family, you're going to be able to act on your lusts. You're going to be able to go bed lots of women. And, and that's how men are willing to give up the treasure of their heart is through lust. But for women, a lot of times it's through vanity. And, and the praise of women seems to have no limits what they're willing to accept in the modern world. And I think those two particular temptations, without that spiritual guidance, without that strength to say no, to what is offered. Yeah. I mean, of course, what is offered is yeah. tempting. That's the whole point of temptation. It has to be something that you maybe are able to resist 1% more than you want, but that 1% makes all the difference. I totally remember when I first had sex. Prior to having sex, I was independent. I wasn't <laughs> controlled by my art environment. I wasn't controlled by women. I didn't go through my whole day checking out women and trying to figure out how to get with the next one. You know, I was seeing, but I didn't have that strong pull. But the moment, and then I, I had no idea what would happen to me once I had sex because, you know, you hear other guys talk about it. They don't tell you what really happens. But the moment I had sex with, 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 with my first girlfriend, I lost something. I lost that self-control. I lost that control that I had over, you know, uh, desiring women and thinking about women all the time. I had no more control. I became subject because once I had sex with one woman, it opened up that door where I was lusting after other and others and others. And then that's all you end up thinking about. It's like I lost my innocence and I became subject to the sex thing. And that's why over the last uh, 28 years, we've been warning guys, it's best to wait until you get married because you are going to lose that self-control, but at least under the umbrella of marriage, you can make as many babies you want, you have as much sex you want, and when you're through, through making babies, then you can start pulling away from the sex so you can get control of your life again, and you and your wife can live together until death do your part, because she would be now subject to you, you're not being controlled by the sex thing. The sex thing, once you do it, it becomes like a drug to you. You got to have it. You got to have it. And if you don't take control of it, you go out of control. And that's why a lot of men end up cheating on their wives and things, because they had sex prior to marriage. And once you have sex prior to marriage, it becomes too important to you. That bonding hormone or the bonding chemicals, uh, the uh, endorphins, and I mean, it's very powerful. And yeah, yes. I mean, I remember, yeah, how, how, you know, they say it's good. How good could it be? It's like, oh, it's that good. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I, I, I'm afraid I have now found the central organizing principle of my young life. Now, I mean, I wasn't entirely living in the hotel called Man Horror, but let's just say I knew where it was on the map. Uh, and uh, it, it, it was when I was reading, Socrates was talking about this when he was getting into his 70s, and he was saying, Ah, oh, thank God sexual desire is diminishing for me. It is almost exactly the same as casting out a devil or a demon. Yes. Uh, and uh, confining that power of sexuality within a marriage is very, very important. And it's That's something right. that seems inconceivable now. And now women are told, oh, go sleep with 20 guys before you get married. But the reality is statistically... If a woman is a virgin, you're almost likely to stay, you're almost certain to stay married when you get yes. married. If the woman's had like 20 relationships, pff, forget it. She's never going to be able right. to pair bond. Your marriage is doomed. And trying to find that uh, pearl among the sand 
is uh, pretty important, as the old saying used to be, no hymen, no diamond, right? And that's because there was an understanding that when a woman sleeps around, it's even worse for her heart and soul than it is for a man. I mean, we're designed to be a little bit spray and pray, but they very much are bonding (laughs) uh, organisms. And it really disrupts marriage to tell women, oh, go play the field. When you're at your most high market, uh, sexual market value, squander it on a series of useless men and then when you get desperate after you hit the wall then try and bag down the remaining losers who haven't already been locked down by more sensible women and it's such a terrible strategy and everybody knows it everybody used yeah. to know this historically and now you can't even talk about this this terrible deal it's an evil setup i'm mm-hmm. telling you um i was counseling with a young man recently uh, about a year or so ago and he told me that one time once he did cocaine and he said that he his first cocaine hit was the best high that he had ever felt. It was like heaven on earth for him. And in that moment, he realized, uh, 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 no, this is not going to work. And so he stopped doing it. And when he said it, it reminded me of sex. The very first time I had sex, it was like, you know, everything. And I realized later on in life, I've been trying to get that very moment back again. Mm. That first time you do it is like, you know, firecrackers or something, you know. But you never really get that again. Even when you go to a new woman, it's exciting for a minute, but it's never that same excitement that you got when you first had sex with the woman you first had sex with. And so a lot of guys go through a whole lifetime not realizing it, but they're trying to get that high that they got when they first have sex or had sex, and it never works again anymore. It's the same as drugs. Yeah. No, I remember that whole question around drugs when I was younger, and people would say, you want to try this, want to try that? It's like, nope. Because <laughs> either, A, it's not that great, in which case, why take the risk? Right. Or B, it's fantastic, in which case, I don't really want to know, because <laughs> then I'm going to have That's to spend right. the rest of my life chasing it or missing it, and I just don't see... You know, I remember once uh, a woman uh, I uh, picked up in the gym. Uh, we went out for a date, and she said, uh, well, I'm actually married. My marriage isn't doing that well, but hey, let's have an affair. You can be my side guy. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> because nope. either right. I don't care about you that much, in which case the sex isn't going to be any good, or I do care about you. The sex is good, and then I'm tortured that I can't have you. It's like there's no win in that situation at all. And also, you can't trust a woman who would cheat on her husband, right. even if they are having bad times, because... If she cheat with you on her husband, she's 100% going to cheat with someone else on you. It's because she's still looking for that same excitement. And as soon as something goes wrong between you and her, she's going on to another man. She's looking for something to make her feel good rather than looking at the cause of her problems and overcoming them. Right. Well said. Well said. Well, we're going to close it off here. Really want to thank you as always for the great conversations. JesseLeePeterson.com, rebuildingtheman.com, and to come and chat and meet. I don't know. I assume you're going to stick around and chat with people. I I do a speech and then I, I spend three hours chatting with people, which is great. Uh, we're going to be at a night for freedom, DC.com. That's Washington, D.C., February 24th. The last one was off the hook. It was a fantastic, <laughs> amazing, memorable night. It's going to be even better with Reverend Peterson there. I really appreciate your time. Thank you again so much. No, it was fun. I always enjoy talking to you. I like your deep thoughts. And also, you can call me Jesse. It's just Jesse. Will do. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Uh, thank you. I look forward to seeing you there. And I want everybody and their mama to come out. We've got to have a hoot nanny of a time. And their daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy right. and daddy. All right. Thanks, Jesse. That's appreciate right. it. <laughs> All right, buddy. <laughs>